Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning, everyone. It's really wonderful for me and my family to be here with the family of Covenant Evangelical. Uh, we've developed some close friendships with your leaders, so it's great to be with you this morning. And uh, I want to also extend my welcome to the friends and visitors, some here, some online, as you join us for what is such an important topic what is life and love all about? So uh, may I begin with prayer so that our hearts are ready to receive God's message to us. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for each one gathered here in this place and also online and that we are known by name and that you desire to reveal your love for us, and we need this. Help me, Father, to tell the sacred story of your amazing love in Christ Jesus. Lord, we ask you, open our eyes to see the truth and open our hearts to experience being loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Intuitively, we all know that life has to do with love because none of us can imagine a good life that has no love in it. Uh, we've seen earlier, and thank you to the talented music group for showing us that uh, many experience love as something that is elusive, something fragile, and in some cases, the source of much pain. So uh, my great joy today is to introduce uh, the newcomers and to remind uh, those who have been uh, walking with uh, the Lord of this love that is like no other, a love like no other, a love that you can plug into and never look back on. It's the love of Jesus uh, when he hung on a cross for you and me. You know, friends, when we became a republic and they said they would give uh, two public holidays to Christians, so the Christian leaders decided on Christmas and on Good Friday. Uh, that is something of a surprise that you would choose the death of your founder to be the day of everyone taking a break from work and having a public holiday because of the significance of his death. And the death of Jesus is indeed at the heart of the Christian faith and at the heart of good news. So I want very quickly to share with you what love is, what the love of Jesus is and why that love is like no other. So first, it's a love for the loveless. Jesus, about three years of 
uh, public ministry teaching the truth of God's kingdom, God's reign, and doing good in a broken world, and, and showing the power of God through miraculous signs and healings, how engaged God is with the world. After about three years of public ministry, he is falsely accused of treason against the Roman Empire. And Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, he knows that Jesus is innocent, but for political expedience, in order to avoid a riot, he sentences Jesus to be crucified. And in the events leading up to the crucifixion, you can see in the characters, you can see how unlovely uh, you and I are. You can see, for example, the disciples, they flee for their own lives because they want to protect their life. They flee in fear. Then uh, one of them, in fact, betrayed. One among the 12 who were the close circle of disciples betrayed Jesus. Another, Simon Peter, a leading disciple, denies knowing him. Choosing love of self over love of Jesus. Then you have the Jewish religious leaders, and they see Jesus as a threat to the status quo. And the status quo preserves their position, their power, their prestige. And they are, they are jealous of Jesus, and therefore they want to get rid of him. Then you have the Roman soldiers, for the Roman soldiers, it's just another day's work. And when they arrest and bring Jesus to the praetorium uh, and say he's the king of the Jews, they look for entertainment. So they mock him and rough him up. And then Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, he knows that the right thing to do is to release Jesus, but he gives in to the pressure of the crowd. And the crowd, as you can see from the slide, the crowd is an angry mob shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So we need to ask, uh, why this rejection of Jesus? And the answer given in the Bible is that people loved darkness rather than light because their deeds, their works were evil. You see, Jesus is goodness incarnate, coming to us from God's very side, the unique Son of God, begotten, not made. He's the glory of God. He's the goodness of God. And he has taken human flesh to communicate, to reveal God to us. But the light of his goodness exposes the darkness of our ways. The wrong things that you and I have done. Because the darkness is exposed by his light, we reject the light. You can reject the light in a vigorous way, like this angry mob but you can also reject the light with hidden resistance. 
the mob you see, uh, it railed at Jesus like a beast of a hundred throats. And the religious leaders who want to get rid of Jesus, they know how to ride the beast for their own purpose. But more to the point, my dear brother and sister, are you and I have a beastly side to us. You know that when you choose darkness rather than light. There is this beastly side that gives in to lust, that gives in to greed, <clears throat> greed for money, greed for power. There's a beastly side that can be revealed in rage, you know, anger. Sometimes boiling within, sometimes flowing out in furious and destructive words. And there's a beast in each one of us. But the point is this, Jesus sees us for who we are and he does not turn away. Love for the loveless, uh, for the unlovely. He sees the evil we have done as well as the evil in our own hearts, the twistedness of our nature and our secret sins. But it does not turn him off. It's love, you see. It's love for the loveless. Our unloveliness does not stop him to see us as individual persons created by God and created for God. So when he became flesh, he came on a rescue mission to bring us back to God. And he went to the cross precisely to forgive that dark side, that beastly side. To forgive the acts that we can't erase, but that he can heal. He came to forgive us and to remake us. Now how do we know that he loved those who hated him. How do we know? We know it because on the cross, he prayed for his persecutors. He prayed for those who hated him without a cause. And you and I will pass that way too. What did he pray? He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. My late cousin hit rock bottom through drinking alcohol and through drugs. He also had a couple of failed marriages. He was a seaman, and that didn't help him to get a grip on his life. He was always moving. But he lived to tell the story of how, at a point in his life of total despair, he was close to taking his own life. Everything he did was meaningless and everything he did was nothing but pain, pain to others, pain to himself. And he was on the deck of the ship and he wanted to end his own life. But in God's grace, he was prompted to read from the Bible that his mother had given him years ago. And there the God who says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That God spoke to him and said, you feel you are nothing and you've made a mess of your lives. 
but I love you. And I know you. And I can give you back your life. And he met this God of the Bible in the person of Jesus. And God raised him up. He had a few more years because of his drinking and drugs, his organs were, were affected. And he knew he wouldn't have very long to live. But since that day, he wanted others to know, don't give up. And don't despise yourself. Because this God truly loves sinners. His love is for the undeserving. Someone unpacked the, the, the word grace, right? Love for the undeserving. Love that you don't deserve. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. The riches of God's forgiving, freeing, transforming love in Jesus. Second, love is... The love of Jesus is a love that is selfless. So I can ask you, how far would you go to help someone in trouble? How, I mean, how far really would you go to help someone who is in trouble? Jesus went all the way and experienced depths of sorrow that you and I can never fully plumb. So take a look at this picture of Christ on the cross. How far would you go for someone who is not worthy but who is in desperate need? How far would you go? At the cross, Jesus suffered and bled and died for your sins and mine. He took upon himself the judgment of God that we deserve for all that is rotten within us and all the things that we have done, things that are contrary to God's character, contrary to God's will, contrary to God's right and wrong. God's ethics for fullness of life, for life at its best, God's ethics, but we've violated it. And the penalty for sin is death. But Jesus has took that penalty upon himself so that we can be set free. Let me read you some verses from the closing scene, the final scene of Jesus' crucifixion. This is from Mark chapter 15. Let me read, so that you can be transported to this scene. And when the sixth hour had come, that's noon, 12 noon. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabah which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then, perhaps just moments later, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
And when the centurion, the Roman centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. How much Jesus suffered out of his selfless love for you and me. There is the physical side, is there not, of the pain, brutality of crucifixion. The spikes in the wrists and in the legs and made to gasp for breath until his knees had no more strength. There is that physical pain that he went through. And then there is the sting of rejection and mocking from his own people. But today I have a chance to tell you there is more, more to his suffering than we can really fully know, fully grasp. And the, the suffering he went through perhaps can be understood in terms of this verse. You see, what is happening when Jesus is hanging on the cross? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, It's for our sake that God made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So we're quite maybe more familiar that Jesus is carrying our sin upon him, our infirmities, and that's why he's bearing the, the penalty of death. But this verse takes us one step further. This verse tells us he's not only bearing our sin, like external to himself, he was made sin. He's the worm of sin itself. That's what he became there on the cross. So then, on the cross, there is no private space for Jesus to think of himself. Actually, actually, I'm righteous, but I'm suffering and laying down my life because of the sins of others. There is no place of comfort for him, you know. To think, actually, I don't deserve this, but I'm doing it for other people's sake. Because he's become sin itself, you see. In other words, he's saying, I deserve this because I am sin itself. Everything that is repulsive to God. So he receives then the wrath of God as the one who is made sin. And as one writer expresses it, Jesus cannot wrap himself in the dignity and self-pity of a misunderstood goodness. You cannot just say, oh, these people, you know, they misunderstand what I came to do for them, and I'm now bearing their sins. <laughs> he doesn't have that comfort. There's nothing to ease his sorrow. No, not even some sweet internal sense of innocence. So he has become sin, but paradoxically, he is also the Holy One of God. And if he is the Holy One of God, then he hates sin. So Jesus is hating himself on the cross. <laughs> That's a stream of suffering that 
we cannot fully grasp, but it's there because he took it, you see. He became sin and incurred the wrath of God and he couldn't say, it's all right, I'm doing it for others. He has become sin itself. So he's loathing himself with unyielding pain. I think that is one of the streams of his mysterious suffering for you and me as saviour of the world. He experienced the depth of self-loathing, hating yourself, to win pardon for my deep sinfulness. And so, my friends, in this way, he saves us. Because he selflessly became sin, he saves us from a state of anguished self-knowledge and always loathing yourself. You know, there are those times, right? You do, yeah, you're disgusted with yourself, especially when you're aware of your sinfulness. But you don't remain in that condition because he's experienced it for you and he can set you free. So you don't dislike, you don't hate yourself because he's born it on your behalf. Therefore, we appreciate his suffering on our behalf. But there's more, you see. Because he has become sin, God the Father turns away from him. So not only is he experiencing self-loathing, he's experiencing abandonment from God because God, his God, who is holy, turns away from him. The three-hour darkness over the land like the plague of darkness in Egypt centuries before, is the sign of God's judgment falling upon the land. Only this time, it is focused on God's only begotten Son, the one crucified between two criminals. Heaven is shut against him. That is why he cries, My God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us. Jesus has entered the absolute void that we deserved. He's entered the realm of utter darkness, absolutely separated from God, hell itself. He's entered it. And that's what he has saved us from. The fearful separation that when life ends, there's total darkness and total abandonment. And that fear, friends, I found was lurking in my own heart. Even after becoming a Christian, a sense of, yeah, where is it all going to end? And it's the final end, total darkness and total loneliness. And this, you know, every Easter weekend, there's something special, fresh, deep, God gives. And for me, this was prize goal. That because Jesus suffered absolute blackness and abandonment, I will never taste the abyss, the dark pit 
of darkness and aloneness. Not in this life and not ever. And that set me free in a new way. So the Christian life begins with a sense of freedom, but we grow in it. We begin to appreciate it. We begin to live it out as the years go by because this love is so deep. So this verse says, he went through all that suffering, that selflessness in his suffering. He went through it all for our sake. This selfless love was so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? <laughs> he went through all that so that you and I can be put right with God and live as the freed children of God. So this love, when it's true and genuine, is freeing. Which brings me to the third aspect of the love of Jesus. So it's love for the loveless. It is love that is totally selfless. And now thirdly, it is love that is victorious. Because the love of Jesus did not stop until it won a new day for all humanity. And it's captured here in this last, the way he died, gripped, struck uh, the Roman centurion. Because most of the time, when people die on the cross, they just wilt, you see. Well, finally, they often are cursing and then sighing, and that's the end. But he now gives a loud cry. And the Roman centurion, this is not a cry of resignation, defeat. This is a cry of triumph. He's crying, and another gospel gives us what is likely to be the words he said. It is finished. His going through the depths of hell and abandonment by God is what it took to win us back and to set us free. And so he hurled himself at the wall of death, you see. It is finished. And now he has made a new and living way. I tell you the good news. The good news is death is no longer a wall, but a bridge. Hey, <laughs> you and I can really live with freedom, abandoned to the love of Christ. Because this love will not let you go. At death, everybody got to turn back. From the crematorium, the burial site at Chachukang, we all got to turn back because he can't go further. But Jesus, because he has conquered, walks with the person who has departed this life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he's the one, he's made a bridge. And he'll walk you across the bridge. And then what happens? Perfect communion with the God who loves you. That's his victory. How can we be sure that it's a victory? Well, Jesus rose from the dead. Good Friday is inextricably tied to Easter because the death of Christ was accepted by God. Now, sometimes people say, hey, you all make a big thing about the death of Christ. How can you be sure? Can't be sure. Because God set his approval. This death counts for all who trust in him. That's how God in his justice shows mercy. Isn't that fantastic? That's how he shows his love. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus rose from the dead, which is why you now have the picture of the empty tomb. The tomb where he was buried. 
was found to be empty on that first Easter morning. We celebrate the death of Christ, public holiday on Good Friday, because it didn't end there. That's where the victory was won. And the victory was made clear to the whole world by his resurrection. And when Jesus rose from the dead bodily, it's a new body, but it's a body. It can eat fish and bread. When he appeared to his disciples for 40 days after the resurrection, he showed them God has overturned everything, including physical death. And he showed them, and he taught them for 40 days before he ascended to his glorious throne in heaven. So, friends, uh, Jesus is alive today. He reigns from heaven, yet he walks with any person who receives him as his personal Lord or her personal Lord and Savior. I pause now because uh, there are quite a few people who accept there's some truth, beauty about the Christian faith. So they maybe can also accept, okay, God, this God loves and Jesus is sent from God and Jesus is a good man. Maybe even he died. But it's all a doctrine. It's, it's all a truth that they can agree to, but they haven't made it their own. So I need to pause now to let you know. Uh, this new life that Jesus gives, it is yours when you say he died for my sin. Are you with me, friends? It's not you believe something that Jesus has done. You enter this new life and you say, thank you, Lord. I am sorry for my life and all the wrong things in my life and the wrong inner life my thoughts, my feelings, my resentments, everything that you see, I'm sorry. And I thank you for loving me. And I believe, I believe, Lord, that you died for my sins and that you rose, I believe you rose from the dead to put me right with God forever. And I say thank you, Lord. And I give you my life. When you do that, you experience this new life. You know, my friends, Jesus, when he had his ministry on earth, this is what he said. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. The thief. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. So... He has died for our sins. We are freed from our guilt, sense of shame. That's not the end of the story. He's raised us up for new life. <laughs> to experience this new life in this broken down world. We're all here and we know it's a broken down world because we are sometimes exploited at work. The system keeps running. You can't afford to miss a step. You've got to be there even if you're having COVID. There are deadlines to be met. 
So <laughs> there is this ongoing oppressiveness that we can experience in this broken down life. And then there are breakups, conflicts. And then there's the disappointment, right, of institutions and peoples. But Jesus says, in this broken down life, I give you life in its fullness. And this life in its fullness comes from being centered on my love. Are you with me, friends? What is life and love all about? Life, this abundant life, is about being centered on the greatest love of all. The love of Jesus. The love for the loveless. The love that is totally selfless. And the love that is victorious. God wants each one of us to experience this abundant life. This life in its fullness is when you are free from guilt and fear. Where your God-given abilities are engaged in repairing and rebuilding God's world just like the volunteers in the Habibi work in those camps. Right? They are rebuilding because the love received then flows out through you where your heart is free to love and be loved. And when you can accept life at its best is when you know you are loved by this almighty God, you accept yourself for who you are, and you know you're being formed. You're being formed by him who loves you to be the best version of yourself. I just alert you, it's a contested world. So Jesus says there's a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. A thief who comes to take away this fullness of life. Empty philosophies that have the appearance of worldly wisdom but can have no power for living. The thief, habits that enslave us. Just recently I met a young man, just got married, but addicted to gambling. And it's endangering his marriage. But he's come to know the love of Jesus. It's given him hope. It's given him new life. He needs help, support, accountability. But he's moving in this new life to break free from the chains. Values around you. Values like some in the love songs, right? You put yourself at the center and your fulfillment is measured by how many likes you have on social media. So there are many things that can rob. The thief comes. But today at this service, and you who are watching online today, Jesus comes to give you life in its fullness. Because he loves you. He knows all about you. And his love knew no limit to bring you home. Life is about being centered on the greatest love of all. The love of Jesus for you. Can I invite you to stand? Let's stand. Those of you online, I pray you will have a quiet space because it's time now for us to respond. It's good, friends, that you don't rush. 
God is reaching out to you, I have no doubt, in telling you the sacred story. You're not, you're not facing the Jesus of the organized church. You're not facing the Jesus in popular media. I pray God will open your eyes to see him on the cross. Because that's love for the loveless. That is love that is totally selfless. And that is love that is victorious. Lord, would you come now? I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for each one. You saw the crowd, the angry crowd. But your love would have seen them as persons. Not just a mass of people, but each person needing to be healed, forgiven, rescued. I pray, Father, this will be what it is now. For this assembly here in Woodland CEFC and the many who are online, They might know they are being addressed by name. And that you're saying, I went to the cross for you because I love you. And I give you a future and a hope. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. We're going to sing two uh, stanzas of this wonderful hymn. Prepare your response. Because it's time for us to speak to God. When I survey. When I survey the
friends what will your response be there are some of us here uh, this morning both here physically and those online who have never received Jesus but today he has come to you as the story has been told he comes to you Will you receive him? Will you receive him as your Savior and Lord? And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. In a moment. But it's your love response, your loving response to this love on Calvary Street. And there are others and You belong to Jesus, but he's no longer the center. You've drifted away, you've backslided, your life is crowded with many other things. And today his love grips you, captivates you, and you say, Lord, forgive me. I'm coming back to making you the center, the center of my life. And I know when you are the center, when your love is the center, all is well in a broken down world. And I am well because of your love. And you're coming back and you're saying, Lord, my life, I give back to you. Have your way. And that's your response. So if you're here and it's the first time and you're saying, yes, Jesus, thank you, Lord. I'm sorry for my sins, my life, my past be my savior I believe you died for my sins, I believe you rose again be my savior, if that's you please put up your hand please put up your hand as we welcome you, just raise it up and keep it up thank you Lord thank you Lord, there is no fear in love thank you Jesus, thank you Lord And then those who are returning, you're coming back and this Good Friday, this Easter weekend, Lord, you be the Lord. And I'm not going to hate myself and I'm not going to be in chains. I'm going to be set free, free to follow you, free to serve you. Put up your hand. Put up your hand. That's your prayer. That's your response. Thank you, Father. Put it up. Keep it up, my dear friends. Thank you, Father, that you see these responses. And I pray for my brothers and sisters now in the name of Jesus. I pray you seal the decision. Lord, I ask that the word will fall on good soil, Lord, and it'll bear fruit. Those who come to you for the first time, Lord, what joy in heaven, what joy in the church. Thank you, Lord. They've come home to the God who loves them. And then for others, Lord, they lay down everything now and we lay our lives before you. Bless you, Lord. We're going to continue to sing the last two stanzas. Worship him. Worship him as we adore his love, his person. Thank you, Lord. Shall we sing this together? When I survey. When I 
We're glad you had spent some time listening to God's Word. And we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.